Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We're looking forward to this. We've been off for a couple of weeks because of the holidays, and now we are uh, once again assembled around the studio table, absolutely ready, willing, and able to take your questions. So whatever question you have about the Bible, maybe you've been in a Bible study lately, you've had a question that got brought up that nobody could answer, or you heard a pastor at church say something that you were confused about, or you've had something uh, you've wanted an answer to for a long, long time, whatever it is, send it over. The text line is now officially open, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Welcome to the Power Panel today. We have the professor, the pastor, and the Sunday school teacher. We have Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. Good to be here. You know, uh, just because Guy Talk is expanding, right, gotten more popular, and I've taken it uh, upon myself to uh, write a disclaimer for the show, and here it is. Okay. Okay. All opinions are welcome, although they may not represent the position of the host who gets to be right most of the time. Any jokes (laughs) delivered by the panel are subject to interpretation for content as well as texture, flavor, and the all-important criteria of, was it funny? No portion of Guy Talk can be retransmitted without the express written permission of Major League Baseball. This offer is not valid in Fontana, Wisconsin, Walla Walla, Washington, and Keokuk, Iowa, and certain parts of Guam. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Works for me. That's great. I love it. Yeah, we just got to have a few disclaimers. Yeah, yeah. I understand. It's really I can't control. I can't control I you guys. That's right. I yeah. Love it. So I also want to say thanks to Tom and Karen today. They brought over a guy talk pizza cake. Yes, and it you, was it's good. Wonderful. Yes, you guys want to talk great. about it? It was delicious. I mean, I got a nice big chunk of it. And since you don't give us pizza, that's nice that this person did that Oh, wow. Yeah, that was that kind of a dig. Us. That was kind of a dig. <laughs> I got a chunk I didn't, coming I didn't, in. I'm going to get a chunk going out. <laughs> really? I didn't yeah. take one big piece. I took three smaller pieces. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that it's less calories than the same size <laughs> one single piece. So. Well, this this pizza cake, uh, Guy Talk pizza cake, I'll just say, was dark chocolate truffle with white sauce, buttercream on French vanilla crust, and raspberry topping. Ooh. Yum. Oh, yeah. it was good. That's Yum. Good. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for that. That was very considerate and very thoughtful. So yes, thank you. It's nice that people yep. care. Yes, it, it is. is. All right. If you have a question, send it over 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Let's uh, open our Bibles up to Luke chapter 1. If you would, I've got a question I want to pose, and I want to look at at the exchange between Zechariah and Gabriel. And when this starts off uh, talking about uh, Zechariah and Gabriel, they are saying that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Pretty good couple, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. And yet they prayed for a child for the longest time and no luck. Fair? Fair. True. Uh, the angel Gabriel uh, appears in the room where Zechariah was burning incense and said, you and your wife are going to have a baby. Zechariah says, 
well, how can I be sure of this? I'm old. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Is that a fair question? From a human... What happens next? Well, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Hmm. Yeah, notice that this is in contrast with Mary. Uh, that's what I was going to. Oh, was yeah. that where you were going? Yeah. So, well, read read her response. To, are you are you ready to read her response, or should we just cite it? Well, Mary says uh, to to Gabriel, um, "How will this be, since I'm a virgin?" And Mary finishes with, "May your word come. May your word to me be fulfilled." So, Zachariah said, "Read it again." What did Zachariah say? Uh, he said. Um, how can how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And that's a different question than what Mary asked, who asked, well, how will this be? Do you see the difference? Mary was asking, well, how is this going to work? She wasn't doubting what the angel was telling her. She was saying, well, wait a minute here. I understand the birds and the bees, and you're telling me I'm going to be with child, even though I have not been with a man. So how will this be? Zachariah was asking, well, how can I believe you? How can I be sure of this? And that's why the angel says, well, now you're, I'll show you how you're going to be sure. You're going to be silent until this baby is born. Gabriel just had a soft spot for Mary. <laughs> <laughs> that's all there is yeah. to it. <laughs> but I think one of the things here that we need to pay attention to, uh, Zechariah had been a priest for a long time. This was not new. You know, he was up in years. He should have had a lot more experience with the Lord. Mary... We believe she could been was probably around 14, 15 years old. I mean, she was just barely coming of age where she could make her own decisions. And I think we see... And yet, who believed the angel, right? Well, the Mary, young... Mary believed, and I think what I see here is this. I think many of us that have walked with the Lord Jesus a long time can kind of get stagnant in our walk in the sense that we're not, used, we're not looking for the miracles, we're not looking for the divine appointments like we should, and when they occur... People are kind of taken back for it. I have pastors. I counsel a lot of pastors. I have pastors call me all the time. They'll go, Tom, i got to tell you something that happened to me when I was praying. I, I, I didn't even think this was possible. I, I, I think the Lord is telling me to do something. And they're always kind of in shock. When I, but when I work with my confirmation girls who are 12, 13, and 14 years old, they're ready to jump on board no matter what it is. Hmm. So I think it, it's all of us. We need to encourage each other. And if you have those doubts, the first thing to do with Gabriel or anybody that shows up is to say, hey, I'm a sinner and, and I don't get all of this, but I'll do whatever you want. And eventually he did. Mm-hmm. And that's what came out of it. The other part of your story, I think you kind of paused where it said that they were righteous in the eyes of the Lord, and yet they were praying and praying and praying. And I think in your question, you're kind of hinting that, well, wait a minute, it took God a long time well, it sure did to answer their yeah. prayers and it's it's a good lesson for us I know that it, I think it's James that says the the prayers of the righteous availeth much yet God can say yes or no or wait I've got my own timing and to to Zechariah he was saying wait for the longest time until this day so but I think the key here to understand the difference in the reaction of Gabriel to Zechariah versus Mary is the nature of the question. Mary was saying, how is this going to happen? I don't understand. I don't doubt that what you say is true. Zechariah was going, how can I be sure that I can trust what you're telling me? You know, what gives me a great sense of hope is the fact that when I take a look at Scripture and I see that God waited 400 years to punish the Amalekites for their, their, their sin, 
Um, and in this particular case, God is waiting to go ahead and answer. He doesn't operate off of a human clock, but he does operate. That's where trust and faith comes in. And so the longer I've been in the faith, the more comfortable I am with, with, with waiting for the not yet. And that sooner or later, God will respond, and I need to be patient because he's not on my clock. He's on his clock, and that's what I trust in right now. So that gives me really hope, even when it could give you despair because you're having to wait so long. But the fact of the matter is, in my walk with the Lord now, I'm okay with having to wait and not getting the answer right away. Because I trust the Lord, because I know he'll ultimately answer. Hmm. When we were having difficulty in our own family, it was two and a half years before it was brought to resolution. And that was a great lesson for me. I didn't want to go through it again, obviously. But it was a great lesson for me that God's not finished yet, and he's always working behind the scenes, and I just need to trust him. I think what we're doing here, Bill, and I like what you're doing, this is what I think adult Sunday school classes should be like most of the time. And this is the way I try to teach. Yeah, I can go in and do a 90-minute lecture. That's not a big deal. I can do that. But I'm not sure how much people need all the theological information. What they need is to look at a text like you showed us and then come back and say, well, what about me? I'm not oh, I'm not as patient as Greg is talking about. I'm not at that stage yet. What do I do? And the advantage we have when we come together here every Thursday and talk is that we get to vet this for one another and talk about it. Where do we allow that in church? That's what should be happening. And so my wife, being the, the curriculum woman she is and the, the former principal, said, you know, if you plan an hour class, you should give your class at least 30 minutes in some form, either through a story that they do in small groups or whether they just ask questions, to be able to interact with what you're saying without at first giving them all the answers, let them struggle with it, and then keep showing them what Scripture says and lead them along the way. And I'll be honest, uh, since I've been doing that, um, my classes are always full. Mm. We have a lot of people, and, and I think it comes down to people have questions. They're not looking for theological dissertations, and we need to be doing more of that in the church. Mm-hmm. Tom, were you suggesting uh, when it came to Mary's youth and uh, her where she was at and her, her kind of innocence that she was more quick to ask Gabriel, how is this going to happen, where Zechariah, a lot older, a lot more experienced, he was maybe just being a little more practical. Yeah. Uh, was there a lack of faith in, in Zechariah, or was he, he spent his whole life praying for this? I'm not sure there was so much a lack of faith, but I think the problem is the longer we walk with the Lord, we have to be very careful not to become complacent about that relationship. You know, I tell people real faith is living in awe. We're just in awe of what Jesus has done for us. He was a priest for a long time. I think for him... Yeah, this surprised him. Yes, he'd been praying for this. And of all people, he should have been the first to respond to it, but he was having a hard time because he's being too logical. Mary, on the other hand, here you got this young woman. She hasn't had all the experiences he had. She hasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, gone back and forth with the Lord. This looks like it's the first encounter she ever had with the Lord. And yet in her, what I'll call innocence, she was ready to say yes. And really, what does Jesus say about faith, about having the faith of a child? I think oftentimes we overcomplicate what faith needs to be, and she believed. I I wonder if, and I wonder what you guys think about this, if the older you get, the more cynical the potential is you become. Because you've tasted enough life, you've been beat up enough, you've um, dealt with difficult issues, um, 
and and so you're not carried away by every wind of doctrine so easily, and you become skeptical and potentially cynical. You think that's a possibility? And maybe um, Zachariah was just uh, <laughs> exhibiting the fruits of his age. Do we all get cynical when we get older? I think there's a part of that that if you haven't seen the miraculous, like you were talking about earlier, Tom, that you could get a little cynical to say that, you know, now an angel is appearing before me and saying we're going to have a kid. Well, I'm not going to believe that. And But don't forget, Zechariah, whatever it is, he didn't believe Gabriel's testimony. Let me let me read verse 20, which comes after this. He says, Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Verse 19, right before that, when he says, How is this going to happen? Gabriel says, I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand with God. What do you mean you're not going to buy what I'm telling you here? You need to believe what I'm saying. So in his age, in his skepticism, whatever it is, don't forget, he didn't believe what Gabriel was telling him. Well, don't you think most of the problem with pastors today in the local church is that many of them don't know who to go talk to when they have doubts or questions? I mean, how do you go talk to congregational members? Hi, I'm your pastor, and I I don't know if I love my wife as much as I used to. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't want to go to a counselor. Because that's pretty exposing when you go and start paying money to a, even a Christian counselor. What we need is exactly what we're doing here. Women need this in women's groups. Men need this in men's group. And they need to have opportunity to really share your heart. I see the cynicism all the time. Matter of fact, right now, uh, I was talking to uh, um, one denomination. Um, I was at a leaders meeting and the denomination leader said, our problem right now is that we're 40% short on pastors to fill congregations. We just don't have the pastors anymore or the students Mm. that are going through seminary. And you begin to look at that and you say, well, why? Why is this happening? Well, I'm not sure they're getting the encouragement from from the generation that's gone down or not doing it anymore, where I'm always trying to encourage people to go into the ministry and to serve the Lord. And I've seen a lot of uh, men do that. It's been fun. Yeah, Greg, interesting point when you asked do we get a little cynical as we get older? I don't know if that's true, but I do know I want you three guys off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and don't ever come on my lawn. Okay? We understand. All right, thank you. We're going to take a little break and come back with lots more guy talk. Let me know what questions you have for the panel. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Got great questions coming in. Yours is next. Hello, Cheerful Givers. It is always amazing that you live so intentionally and give so sacrificially and are so generous in all that you do, whether it's financial gifts or it's your time and talents and resources God has given you. You are making an incredible difference for the kingdom and kingdom advances through prayer and giving. And we don't want to have the year end without inviting you to uh, make that end of the year tax deductible gift to help support Faith Radio. Your gift right now keeps us spreading the good news in front of a lot of people. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or giving at myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. 
We are back with Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk. We're going to do a little bit of cleanup in aisle five from the last 15 <laughs> minutes that we just had. Because during the break, I think both Jeff and, and uh, Tom made a very interesting comment. Uh, Jeff, you said, if an angel shows up, believe him. <laughs> yeah, which I think is uh, very wise. And then, Tom, you said when it's dealing with kids in the congregation versus elders. Yeah. So repeat that. Well, when I deal with the elders and I say, this is what the Lord's Word says and we should be doing it, and they balk at that or they don't think so or they don't want to offend anybody, I'm not as patient with them as I, I am a 14-year-old in the same situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let me know what questions you have. We will do our best, 877-933-2484. Next question up is, what is a holy kiss? What is a holy kiss? Uh, this is this is interesting. This, uh, this idea of a holy kiss shows up, I think, two or three times in Scripture. Paul talks about it, and maybe in Peter as well, if I recall. And it's a greeting. It's, a, it's when you greet the brothers. Today, right. we might greet a brother and we might hug each other. We shook hands when we showed, yeah. when we saw each other today and but you might hug each other. In some cultures, we might even kiss each other on the cheek back and forth like they do in places in Europe and the yeah. Middle East and so on. And so I think it's called a holy kiss to distinguish it from a sexual kiss. Yeah, it's just a yeah. warm greeting of a brother in Christ. Yeah. Or yeah. brother and or sister in Christ. So in other words, it could be something as simple as a modern handshake today. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. All right. Next question comes uh, regarding fasting. Do you need to fast? And if so, what is it? Um, fasting is, is interesting. Um, there's fasting that's good for your health. That, that Some doctors believe to help remove some of the toxins from your, your body. But the fasting that the Bible talks about always has a spiritual implication. In other words, uh, what you're doing is depriving yourself of something that would have demanded your attention so that you can now pay attention to what God wants to say to you on a particular given issue. And you become, if, you, if anyone's ever gone through fasting, the first three days of a fast are the most difficult. Yep. But once your body realizes that it's not going to be fed, then it changes the way in which it interacts, uh, that, that your, your, your system interacts with, with your, you physically. And so you'll find over the course of time that your energy increases. You'd think it decrease, uh, but it does increase. You'll find that you become more alert and you become more precise in, in your understanding. And so I think that, that uh, a spiritual fast is often... Uh, initiated when you want to hear a, a, a word from God, when, you, when you're looking for a particular answer. And in some cases, it's an act of devotion, that you're separating yourself from the things that you would normally have taken advantage of for the sake of going deeper with the Lord. You know, we have fasting and prayer at my church on a regular basis. When I look at fasting, it's interesting. The Scripture talks about fasting. doesn't give us a lot of instruction about fasting. There's just not a lot there. But there's something, if you want to look just culturally for a moment, when most of us talk about prayer and fasting in the local church, most people, even when they're fasting, are not spending that time in prayer. That's what it's for. You quit eating, so instead of taking three, four hours to prepare the meal in the morning or late in the afternoon, you spend that time in prayer and you skip the food because you spend more time with the Lord. I think if Christians understood that, then like Greg was saying, because I went to a, a Campus Crusade Prayer and Fasting Conference. It was five days. 
All they gave us was the liquids. And, you know, it's amazing how coming up to that third day, guys were getting really grumpy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this was this was a yeah. Christian crowd that you didn't want to get too near. But on the fourth day, it was amazing how we got over that hump. And suddenly the prayers picked up and people became much more sincere and, and in depth. So, you know, fasting for two hours, you know, and, and saying, I'm going to fast for two hours or I'm going to skip lunch. That's not biblical fasting. Mm-mm. The biblical fasting is saying, I'm going to give up a significant portion of my time to prepare and get a meal. And we can get them quickly in this culture so I can spend that time on my knees or, uh, you know, with the Bible in front of the Lord, searching his mind. I wish we do more of that. We could all eat a lot less. And my doctor's going to tell me that tomorrow when I see her. So I, well, and, I think and, we need to do that. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, Jesus is in the desert. He fasted for 40 yeah. nights, 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if anyone's ever fasted, even those who are accomplished in doing so, that's a long time. Huge. That's a long time. So the question I have in my own mind, and I haven't found the answer in Scripture, is why did Christ feel the necessity to go ahead and fast for 40 days? Because at the end of that, what did, what happened? There was a confrontation with Satan. So I'm, 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 if you guys have the answer, I'm, I'm willing to hear well, it. But... He would have been at his weakest point physically, yeah. but potentially his strongest point spiritually, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I see a fast. You guys have spoken to this, it's really a denial of the physical self in order to pursue the spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what a fast is. I'm going to deny myself in the physical realm to pursue something spiritual. And so the times that I have fasted, my longest fast is 10 days, and I didn't do a total just liquid. I did some um, uh, juices and things like that um, as well. But it's it's tough in the sense that you're you have to deny yourself physically in order to pursue the spiritual and it, it there there you will reap the spiritual uh you saw it in day 4 right. you mentioned day 4 Greg as well and um yeah so uh, look we we are so consumed by the physical needs on a daily hourly you know three squares a day snacking in the in the middle pizza cakes you know before guy talk and the whole thing oh, right? yeah. and and that's all we tend to think about and when we deny that i think it's it's a process that helps us fix our eyes on things above instead of on earthly things. I mean, when you look, and, and you can Google this, about what happens to your body as you go through a fast, what happens in the first day, the second day, the third day, the first week, the second week, the third week, and so forth. And when I've done that and, and investigated it, it, it's interesting to me as I think about, well, would I be more alert to the things of God at this particular stage because of what was happening to my body? Mm-hmm what was happening to my mind, and I was getting more alert, and where was I going to be able to understand things that I wasn't able to understand before in a spiritual sense as I read Scripture? And so it, it really is interesting for anybody that might be interested to go online and take a look at what happens to your physical body and then relate that to or correlate that with, okay, am I more open to the Word of God? Am I more understanding? Am I more sensitive? It has my relationship with the Lord um, become more vital and and uh, having gone through this process. Years ago, when I was a young pastor, I had a chance to sit with a non-denominational pastor. He was a great Bible teacher, and he was addressing this very issue. And the question was, why did Jesus fast for 40 days? And and he put up with us for a couple of days while we kept fumbling around on this, and finally he said, guys, don't you realize that Jesus did what Israel was supposed to do, reduced to one person? They rebelled for 40 years in the wilderness 
He went in the wilderness for 40 days and fasted so he could be in touch with the Lord and confront Satan and have the power of the Lord. Israel never had that power Mm -hmm. because they didn't trust in the Lord. And as soon as they got in the promised land, what did they want? They wanted a king. They didn't want the Lord reigning over them. Mm -hmm. And he made a bunch of parallels like that. And I don't know if that's exactly true, but I look at that and I say, wow, you know, we see in Jesus doing what he was calling others to do, but they couldn't do. And we look at ourselves, and the only reason I even try to do it is because I know I've got a Lord who's done it for me. I can't do it. He has. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, this is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let me know what questions you have for the panel. We've got uh, Greg, Tom, and Jeff here waiting and ready for your question. 877-933-2484. Here's a question, guys. When we all stand for judgment, Christians will not be judged for their sins will be judged for good works on earth then we will receive rewards for the good works is the same true for non-believers when it comes to sin will they be judged for their sins but will there be more severe punishment for certain people will my nice caring non-believing neighbor receive the same punishment as say a guy like hitler doesn't seem fair if they do well, we actually have both these judgments described in Scripture. The first, the believer's judgment, is really a rewards ceremony. First Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5 describe this Bema judgment, or what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And as the question indicates, we are rewarded for what we've done in the body. Now remember, your bad is burned up. Everything you did outside of faith is burned up. What remains, you then are rewarded for, and... But you're standing, this is not a judgment about sin. Sin was already taken care of on the cross. Mm-hmm. This is a judgment for believers. You are at this judgment because of your faith. It's about deeds. The judgment is on your deeds, but you're at that particular judgment because of your faith. The lost are at what's called the great white throne judgment described in the book of Revelation. And they are at that judgment because of their unbelief. But that judgment is also based on deeds. Scripture says that books are opened, and another book was opened, and the books of deeds were They'll opened. they judged according to what they've done. That's right, according to what they've done. They will fall short of their deeds, obviously, and then they will be thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Now, as far as degrees of punishment, we th- this is more of a, a Dante's Inferno kind of uh, yeah. question than it is really biblical. The judgment for the lost appears to be the same for all those who don't believe are standing before the great white throne and are judged they're thrown into the lake of fire and and that is the judgment of the lost be it your neighbor who petted his pet versus the man who you know killed you know puppies whatever um it doesn't matter they don't believe and because they don't believe they stand condemned already let me let me go to a little bit the street language it'll be appropriate but what I mean by street language is this, and you're exactly right. Both of you are exactly right in what you're saying. What it comes down to is this. I don't deserve heaven at all, no matter what I've done. I'm there by the grace of the, and shed blood of Jesus. Now, the good works are in thankfulness to what he's done for me. I don't take any credit for him. I just have surrendered, and I want to do and be like him. Those that don't believe, whether they're a Hitler or whether they're a grandma who sits at home but never goes to church and never reads her Bible or whatever else— As one of my friends said to me, you know, I think about that scene before Jesus. How are they going to explain themselves? You know, Jesus, you offered me your blood. You offered me forgiveness. 
and all I could do was spit at you. And that's exactly what it comes down to. It all comes down to what do we do with Jesus in the end. It's not the deeds. I'm not worried about the deeds. You know, I I want to just be in the door. But it really comes down to am I going to respond to Jesus or not to Jesus? And that's where most people are hung up because they still want to believe, well, if I didn't do like Hitler did, it certainly can't be as bad. When you're without Jesus for eternity, it's just as bad. Yeah, I mean, the Scripture says he who has the Son has life. life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Paul says in Second Thessalonians 2, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. Uh, you know, John 1 says that, uh, that uh, you believe because I told you you saw... Uh, no, that's not the verse I was looking for. Uh, I just lost it. But it basically says at the end of John... Three, actually, it's John three, not John one. At the end of John three, it says, "You stand condemned because you did not believe in the person of Jesus Christ." So, whoever you are, whatever you've done in this world, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you face one fate. And if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and trust in Him for your eternal life, you will have eternal life. You know, let me just take a. Um a step aside from that, a one-off from that, um, in terms of everybody receiving the same punishment. Obviously, you know, you refer to the fact of Dante's Inferno, uh, which was written by Dante in, in the 1300s. And although the Bible doesn't specifically say that there are different levels of punishment in hell, it does seem to indicate that the judgment will indeed be experienced differently for different people. For instance, in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, it says the people are judged according to what they have done as recorded in the books, Revelation 20:12. All of the people in this judgment, though, are thrown into the lake of fire, as you said, Jeff, Revelation 20, 13 through 15. So perhaps the purpose of the judgment is to determine how severe the punishment in hell will be. Now, that's speculation, but I can't get away from the language of, of Revelation chapter 20, mm-hmm. especially as it says, according to what they have done as recorded in the books. Yeah, there's actually a couple of verses Jesus says about Sodom. He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that yep. town. There's actually a couple places where it indicates that their judgment will be more severe. It, it's interesting because in several of those passages, and I can't pull them all up right off, off my finger, it says on that day. On that day, on that day of judgment, on that day. But their fate, so I agree exactly what you're saying. It, it's like they're judged more severely, but it seems to me that all the lost are thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. So uh, another indication, uh, according to this, this one scholar, says that hell has different levels of punishment is found in Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 12, where he says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one whom has been trusted with much, much more will be asked, verses 47 through 48. So we can draw some conclusions from that, but that's what it says. But hell is still not a place you want to be. No. All right, we'll take a break. (laughs) Lots more guy talk ahead. Let me know what question you have. 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. So glad that we have got uh, lots of guy talk ahead. If you've got a question, let me know. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. A couple of cleanup uh, from our earlier discussion, gentlemen, about Zachariah and Mary. A couple of nice comments have come in. Uh, one is young people tend to be more adventurous and ready to go. They haven't developed such caution or cause and results frontal lobe. Maybe that is why he chose young people as well for special tasks. Samuel, David, the young king. Mm-hmm. Good comment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a great comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's see, I've got another one here. Um, let's see. Uh, regarding the comment, perhaps an older person gets more uh, cynical regarding their faith. My experience has been just the opposite. I'm in awe of all the miracles that God offers daily and that just strengthens my faith. As a 75-year-old widow, I was widowed in my mid-40s. I depend on the Lord more than ever. Um, I'm cynical about some of the ways our leaders and those in power act and behave. Thank you for the excellent conversation. Praise <laughs> Jesus. I'm I want to hear more that. of that. That's yeah. great. Isn't that great? You know, there is there is truth to that. You know, there's that line from a song that says, All my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so, so good. And if you have been walking in the Lord and you recognize that he's always been faithful, he's always looking out for you, uh, he always does what is good for you. He is a good God. When you get older, hopefully that's where you're at. Instead of the cynicism that we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you get to the point where this caller or the the, the question, the person that wrote the question uh, says, hey, I, I recognize that God has been faithful my whole life. Maybe the differentiation ought to be that if you do not have the Lord and you've lived life long enough, there's a good chance you're going to end up being a cynic or a skeptic. Mm-hmm. But if you do have the Lord, you could end up being a cynic or a skeptic if your your relationship isn't vibrant, if you haven't been a lifelong learner, if if you haven't grown in the Lord. But chances are, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, there's less of a chance for that to happen. Amen. All right, Dr. Greg Borgon, I'm looking your direction. I'll ask you this question and then... Uh, maybe it ends there. Maybe Tom and, and Jeff join in. But uh, let's say at Thanksgiving, your nephew comes home and says, uh, Grandpa, I'm same-sex attracted, and I'm going to uh, marry my partner. What, what, do you, what would you say? Well, first of all, it depends on the relationship you have w- with your grandchild. I mean, if, if they just show up and you've had no relationship at that point, it's going to be very difficult to address that that question. But let's assume for a second that there is some degree of relationship. The first thing that I would do is let me first establish one fact with you, son. I love you regardless. Mm-hmm. That I love you unconditionally. And I will love you no matter what decision you make. I may not agree with you. And in this case, I do not because I sense what's going to be happening in your future, what the possibilities could be and how, and how difficult it might be for you. But I'm going to love you anyway, but I do not agree with the decision. That's how I would would handle it initially. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're a man after God's own heart because when he looked at the world, he saw that they were sinful. And yet he yeah. said to the world, I still love you, world. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I don't approve of what you're doing, 
but I still love you and want you to have a relationship with me through Christ. So I that's think right. you, Greg, that's a response that is after God's own heart. Thank you. Well, let's say, Greg, that your nephew went through the heart of a warrior training and you had a fair amount of confidence that, that they that he was walking with the Lord, but also says to you now, Grandpa, uh, just so you know, I really don't believe what you believe anymore. And I'm, I'm going to say to him, son, I'm, I'm sorry you've come to that particular conclusion, but as you live life a little bit longer, you're going to understand that the truth of God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierced in the vision of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. When you get over your, your uh, skepticism or your cynicism, and remember, God is the hound of heaven. He's going to be after you. He's going to be convicting you through the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's not going to let you go. You're going to have this conversation more than once, son. And I'm looking forward to having it in the future with you. Hmm. Nicely done. Yeah, keep that door open. That's the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah. Okay. Remember when we were talking about fasting, mm-hmm. another question has popped up. Have any of you, and I love this question, have any of you fasted from things other than food, social media, sports, etc.? To me, that's a great question. Yeah, of late, the Vikings. <laughs> uh, Especially Greg, of late, the that, Wild, the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> oh, that's both easy to do, just so you know. Yes, and I've seen people do it. However, let's we're not fasting to fast. We're not fasting to say, I'm not going to watch the Vikings play anymore. We're fasting so that we spend time in prayer with the Lord. And if that's what you're doing, if if your Sunday afternoon is taken up with football from mm-hmm. 12 noon until 9, 10 o'clock at night, and you say, I'm going to give that up because I'm going to spend at least one Sunday afternoon a month on my knees before Jesus for my wife and my children and my church and that, that's the best fasting there is because that's what you should be doing. But it, it's not what you fast from. It's what you fast for mm-hmm. that you're really yeah, looking That's a good point. I like that, Tom. Point. Thank you for that, Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom. Awesome. <laughs> See how nice I am? You are nice. Yeah. Affirming. Yeah. Slightly nicer than usual today, aren't I? Yeah, you're very yeah. affirming today. I know. But we're getting off your lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, can you explain Hades? Does everyone go to Hades when they die? Do believers not go straight to heaven? So the question, you need to answer this question with a distinction between before the cross and after the cross. Okay. Hades, which is called Sheol in the Old Testament, or the grave, was the place that everyone everyone went when they died. The ones, and this is described in Luke 16 with the the Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man goes to one side. It said that he was in torment. Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, or in comfort. So there's two different sides. After the cross, the righteous side has been emptied out, and now when believers die, they go immediately to heaven. The the unsaved still go to Hades in torment. That's A-OK, Jeff. So, yeah, so the unsaved still go to Hades in torment. One of the things I always do with Scripture, because those are tough questions, and I, I've got to hear them a lot as a pastor. I, I go back to John 5.24. You know, Jesus is truly, truly, I say to you, for here's my word and beliefs, and who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And when you look at the original language there, it means right now and ongoing. You will already pass from death to life the moment you believe in him. And the advantage to that is, is that Christians have nothing to fear when they breathe their last breath. Because Jesus himself, I am absolutely convinced, comes for them. As he talks about in John, you know, uh, chapter 6, 
you know, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to be with me. And I, I just had a member die. I've got a funeral on Saturday. And uh, that was the last thing that happened. He, his eyes got, he opened his eyes, got real bright, and he knew the Lord was there. And he's with the Lord now. Wow. And we're thankful. And here, here's, what, here's what one scholar uh, phrased it by. He says that in the Hebrew scriptures, the word used to describe the realm of the dead is Sheol, as you were talking about, Jeff. Mm-hmm. It simply means the place of the dead or the place of the departed souls slash spirits. The New Testament Greek word is equivalent, uh, equivalent to Sheol is Hades, which also is general reference to the place of the dead. Sheol and Hades is divided into a place of blessing where uh, Lazarus was in Luke 16 and a place of torment where the rich man was in Luke 16. Sheol also seems to be a temporary place where souls are kept as they wait the final, erection, or final uh, uh, re- resurrection. The souls of the righteous at death go directly into the presence of God, the part of Sheol called heaven, paradise, or Abraham's bosom, according to Luke and Corinthians. Yeah, So that, but the, then the picture is, then finish the story, that at the cross, Jesus said he descended into Hades. So remember, in, in Matthew, it says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the, in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then when he was resurrected, he brought those on that comfort side with him to heaven. So now paradise yeah. is in heaven. That's so exactly we know, right. just as you said, Tom, that when someone dies, they are with the Lord. That's right. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, lots more guy talk. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. You've probably heard me talk about hope quite a bit this season, and I think it's because we need to hear more about it. We need to encourage one another with hope. We need to build one another up with the hope that we have in Christ. And if you are feeling lonely or maybe you are having periods of disappointment or despair and you need hope, we want you to know that you can always come to God's word for hope. Hope will always be there for you waiting. And if you are struggling to make it to the next moment, I want you to be able to text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome back to Guy Talk. We've just had a serious upgrade in the last five minutes. The Guy Talk panel is uh, a professor, a pastor, and a Sunday school teacher. And now we've added a president to the group. <laughs> we have added Dr. Corbin Hornbeek into Guy Talk. Corbin, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here with you men today. Yeah. Thank you for uh, letting me crash the party. Yeah, second time on the radio today because you were on uh, Carmen Show this morning. Uh, yeah, this is how I start and end every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so glad to have you on. The thank format you. here of Guy Talk is questions come in and we try to do our best to answer them. And pretty straightforward. And you're going to send all those questions my way. <laughs> this is where the whole thing's going to fall apart. <laughs> I look forward to that. All right, here's a question that came in. We have a funeral tomorrow, and one of the readings is from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, and it speaks about being poor in spirit. Can you please tell us exactly what that means? I think poor in spirit uh, references an attitude that uh, of meekness, an attitude of understanding 
that before Almighty God, we are definitely poor in spirit. So I think it's just simply a recognition of our status. It's it's one that's born out of humility. Um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones once talked about the stairway of that whole uh, the Beatitudes and that the steps up to salvation, one of them was an understanding or a recognition that you are poor in spirit. That's exactly that Greek word. I don't know why I remember that Greek word off the top of my head. It's patokos, and it means broken, broken in spirit, yeah. Yeah. right? So there, what's that verse that says a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, mm, yes. right? That's so right. that's that brokenness, I think. When you, you don't realize you need a Savior, until you understand your brokenness and your separation and your sinfulness before a holy God. That's right. Yeah, it's a good word, and it's a word we don't talk about enough. You know, we use the words humility sometimes, but meekness is really surrendering yourself in the presence of someone much greater than you, and that's Jesus. Yeah, it makes it, it's almost impossible to come to a state of, re- of repentance without first being broken in spirit. Of course. Mm-hmm. Because what is that repentance? Is it conditional? Are you sitting in the arbitrary position of authority over deciding what's what's satisfactory or not? Yeah. Do you remember the story of the thief on the cross? He says, the first thief says, get us down. If you're really the son of God, get us down from here. The second thief says, no, you don't get it. We deserve our yeah, punishment. There we go. I think there's a sense of patokos there, right? Of <laughs> being poor in spirit. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, with all the years of counseling I've done, the hardest thing I have to do is get people to look in the mirror at themselves. It's always his fault. It's her fault. They didn't do this right. My mom and dad didn't do this. I wasn't treated right here or there. And that's why I am the way I am. And the goal of Jesus is to stop that. Yes, those things all figure in. I'm not denying that. But ultimately, for ourselves, is to look in that mirror, to repent and say, I become all these things, and it doesn't matter who caused it. This is who I am. And I want to be different now because I see myself as you see me, Lord Jesus, and I'm giving myself over to you. Fantastic. So, Dr. Hornbeek, I'm just so glad to have you with us today. And we we try to do this for two hours on Thursday is just answer questions. (laughs) And Tom Paris, you've said before, shouldn't church be more like this? It should. Where there's Q&A. Absolutely. I I am just convinced that our our adult teaching, we don't need a 60-minute lecture from the Bible on theology. What we need is to look at the Word of God, have somebody illuminate its basic components, but then spend the majority of the time letting people in small groups or in storytelling or whatever struggle with that because that comes close to their life. How does this relate to the way I treat my daughter or my son or my spouse? Mm-hmm. And when you begin to do that and not just say, well, that was his fault, you know, that, that son in, in Luke 15, that prodigal son, yeah, there are people out there like that. No, no, no. The point of the story is I'm that son. Whether I'm the one that left or I'm the one that stayed home, how do I see myself? And it's usually in the storytelling or, and I usually try to give people real life stories. Here's a real life story. What would you say to these people in counseling as a result? And then as they do that, I have people begin to say, oh my goodness, this is really about me, isn't it? And we do that week after week after week, and I see people grow. Yeah, and and Monday I was meeting with 25 men. We're going through Ground Zero, which are building your foundations of your faith. And as I started to talk about the whole idea of, of, of turning your identity over at the foot of the cross and God gives you back your true self and real humility, and most of us are scared to make that, that, that journey. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need to understand and, and appreciate what God is doing in our life. So I'll stop in the middle of that and I'll say to them, I need to know 
what God is saying to you right now. What's stirring in your soul? I like that. And and so they end up starting to respond, and all of a sudden you end up, there was 20 minutes where they were sharing about what they were hearing and how, how it impacted their life and where the transitions are going to be made, where the touchstone was for that scripture that, that touched their lives. And then that, I, I agree with you, Tom. Yeah, it works. Yeah. If I can just jump in and say, you know, I love this format. It, um, you know, the time that Jesus spent with uh, 12 disciples, really imperfect guys, fallen <laughs> guys, you know, self-absorbed guys, guys who wanted to, you know, jockey. Like we're taking this personal. Yes, right. Always jockeying for position. And, you know, this is just like this group here, right? There you go. Gee, thanks for that. <laughs> But in those moments where they had those honest conversations, I, I think of especially, you know, the last chapter of John when, you know, Jesus is reinstating Peter and bringing back to him the recollection that, you know, on this church, on this rock, I'll build my church. But those are really intimate conversations um, that come with a lot of questions about who am I and, you know, who is God in this world? Where is he at work in my life? And, it, you know, this this kind of small group format gives um, that place for authentic kind of conversation. You know, just in that conversation that Jesus was having with Peter, he didn't start off saying, Peter, you need to love me. He says, Peter, do you love me? So Peter's having to go ahead and struggle Mm. with his love for God. So he asked him three times that question, similar around that that same issue of love, expecting an interchange, expecting a dialogue. So, I mean, there's our model right there. I had a friend of mine just a few weeks ago about this show said, you know, I love the format of this show because you learn while you listen, but it's not like sitting through a sermon or a classroom. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's what's the power of this format right here. I learned this lesson about 20 some years ago. I had an invitation and I taught for two years at Bethany School of Missions and (laughs) I taught preaching and it was a delightful time. But I began every class, and I do this in my church now or in Sunday school. Tell me, before we begin, how has the Lord answered your prayer this week? What divine appointments have you had? Have you seen any miracles? You know, and usually the first couple of weeks I do that when I'm starting somewhere, people look at me like, are you crazy? But then now I have a hard time shutting them up, which is good. Hmm. But one of the students out there, I did this for a month and a half, every class, and I was teaching three days a week out there. He finally said, I, I think I can speak up now. He's 29 years old. He said, my dad abandoned our family when I was a young man, and he said he's been had lots of girlfriends, and it hurts. Um, and so what he said, I, I kept praying for my dad, and I know i got to wrap this up, but the story's too long. I'll come back to it later. All right, we'll, we'll deal with that when we come back. <laughs> We're going to take a little break and come back with Hour 2 of Guide Talk, so send your questions over right now to 877-933-2484. Power panel today has a very special guest, Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, who's the president here at the University of Northwestern. I also have Greg, Tom, and Jeff all ready to answer your questions. 877-933-2484. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.